This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. And now we have a treat for sports fans everywhere. It's really important that professional athletes learn what uh, to say and how to deliver their message. You've got a great first half. Make sure you keep the ball doing the work. We're still looking to get it in the wide areas. First of all, it's the correct stadium design, but also the correct pitch construction. And that clash, that rivalry comes together with that traditional white blocked against that more modern, contemporary neon color. All these events live on the programme. We'll continue to do our best to cover sport in the way that you like, backed up by our highly professional team. Grandstand starts now on BFM 89.9. And here we go again. It's that time of the week. It's Friday evening. It's me, Ross. It is Grandstand. It's all about sport. We talk sport with people in sport about sport. Oh, yeah, I said that. We talk sport. <laughs> Friday evening, and, and today we're looking at sports broadcasting. I have with me a gentleman who is celebrating 40 years in media. Welcome to the show, Jason Dacey. Thank you very much, Ross. 40 years, it's hard to believe. That, are you that old, Jason? No, uh, seriously, I'm you're not. not. That old. Actually, you know what? I started off, it's actually more than 40 years. It's actually 42 years, because when I was 15 years of age, I, I started working when I was still at uh, secondary school in, in my native Australia, and I started working as a sports reporter at the age of 15 and um, on the weekends. What, what, what got you at the age of 15 that... Why, why didn't you want to be playing the sports? Why did you want to be reporting on it? Well, I was playing. I, I, I always loved sports, so I'd play, I'd write... Uh, I think when uh, I, I went to a pretty good academic grammar school in, in Sydney called North Sydney Boys High, and some of your listeners would perhaps be familiar with that school. Uh, a lot of Malaysians actually go to that school now. Uh, it's a very elite school. When I went there, it wasn't that competitive, but I was somehow <laughs> able to get in. But it's much harder now to get in than it was uh, back you know, in the 70s when what, I went. What were you studying? Well, that was just a regular higher school certificate, you know, so it's a regular, you know, I was, I learned Bahasa, actually, that's why I learned, I learned a bit of Bahasa, I, I did Bahasa Indonesian, that was one of the subjects that I did, which is very helpful yeah, now yeah, when absolutely. I travel around, uh, in fact, people say, why don't you speak better, you did an A-level in uh, or HSC <laughs> in, in Bahasa. So um, I remember one time when I was probably about 11 or 12, there was a, an assignment that I was given by the English teacher about... You know, just write something that you want, uh, something you're passionate about. Um, you know, you can pick anything that you want. And I ended up writing a sports report, I think, or maybe on a, on a match. It might have been a cricket match because mm-hmm. cricket was big. I can't even remember what the, what the sports report was about. But I remember doing it and I just thought, this is really lighting up for me. I'm just loving this. And I, I gave the assignment. Well, so at, at 15, were, were you basing it on, on newspaper reports? And, and, yes, and, yeah? yes, yes. So it was pro- I was probably 12, 11, 12, 13, something like that. And I wrote a newspaper sports report. Brilliant. At that age. Because I love sports. You know, I, lo- I grew up playing cricket, rugby, soccer. Uh, also other tennis, squash, everything. You know, every Aussie or a lot of Aussies of my vintage were sports mad. So I remember doing it and, and I wrote the, I did this assignment. I got great marks for it. And then I just decided that's what I want to do, you know. Brilliant. And, and one of the things you, you told me um, over the many years was you were telling me your, your English teacher at school said that you, you'd never make it. Forget this business. Yes, yes, yeah. I had a couple of setbacks, you know, along the way. And the first one was, um, and when I started writing at the age of 15, I would I'd do rugby reports for a, a, a newspaper, a local, a suburban newspaper in Sydney called the North Shore Times. Mm-hmm. And that was in 1977. I was 15 years of age. Wow. 
and I'm writing about the, my passion, which was a local rugby league team called the North Sydney Bears. Okay. They don't exist anymore, but, <laughs> but you know, when you're in the, a kid or a teenager, you're just passionate about your local team. Absolutely. You know? And I remember writing these articles, and the first setback that I had was my dad, who was an advertising copywriter and, and a brilliant man. He was an artist. Uh, he wrote short stories. Mm -hmm. He wrote television scripts. So that's where your inspiration came from. Yes, yes. And he was my Rubbed inspiration. Off on young Jason. Yeah, it did. It did. And actually, the very first uh, article that I wrote, I mean, he helped me a little bit, you know, because I was only 15. And he helped. And we typed it up on an old uh, manual typewriter. Brilliant. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, dropped it off. You know, of course, there were no computers. People listening to you now going, what, what's he talking about typewriter? What's a manual typewriter? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But you remember that sound it used to make? Yes. Just, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. So... You, you, you did that, you you're, you did regular weekly rugby reports. Yes, rugby league reports. But the, the setback, the first setback, you mentioned the English teacher, that's coming soon. But the first setback was that my dad, who was my men, you know, my muse and my uh -huh. inspiration, uh -huh. he died suddenly when I was 15, uh, five days before Christmas in 1977. Wow, that must have hit you like you, a ton of bricks. It, re it was so hard, you know. And, and of course, I'd only started writing from June that year. So we'd only done it for six months. And then that happened, right? And that was very hard to uh, cope with. I'm one of four boys in my family. I'm the eldest of four boys. Okay. I was 15, turning 16, and the, all, everyone else was younger than me. It was very tough on my mum, of course, and, and she did a great job. And too. you had to be the most adult had about to be, it. yeah. Right? So that was when I was going into my penultimate year of secondary school, right? And then, uh, so it's hard. And then, and then I get the English teacher from hell in uh, my final year, year 12, <laughs> Mrs. Manton. <laughs> and she was the drama teacher. She'd been the drama teacher. You know, I don't know whether they did this in Malaysia or the UK where you studied, but there was a subject called drama where you're doing yeah. pretty much, you know, theatre stuff. And mm -hmm. she, was, she was great at that. Mm -hmm. But then somehow she ended up being my English teacher for year 12. Oh and uh, we didn't get on, and you know she's she was probably mostly my fault to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but she told my mum that I, I and I'd always done well in English over the years. I'd always got good marks, and because I could write well. And the thing that I really, I guess, I should say is that my dad, uh, he was a great uh, inspiration to me because of, not just because of what he achieved, but Ross, when I was a, a kid, like three years old, he was actually. Um, giving me these flashcards, so I'd learn words. When I was, th can you imagine, three years old, I could read. Amazing. So he's, he's got these flashcards. Yeah. What does this word say? So okay, um, he he passed away when you were fifteen. Yeah, and the English teacher, say a year after that, told my mum that Jason will never make it as a journalist. And I'd even though I'd been writing for the local newspaper, did, did that upset your mum? Uh, I think so. Yeah, it must have, right? Yeah, it's not what you want to hear. And I already had a track record then. I'd already written lots of articles. I was writing for other papers as How well. How did you feel? Do you remember at fifteen? I felt very determined. You know, I think I was probably sixteen or seventeen mm. when I when mm. she told my mum that. Very determined. You know, I wanted to prove her wrong. Okay. How did how did young Jason end up in this part of the world where where us Malaysians and Singaporeans all know you so well? How, how did that journey take? Yeah, that's, that's 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 quite a few yeah. You, years you, later. you went you went to the UK. You mm. you were the first Aussie to work for the BBC, weren't you? On uh, BBC World, yes, on BBC World. Yeah, I mean there paving, were other Aussies but paving the way for for Tulsa and, yeah, and, and all that, right? Tulsa Tullet, yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a friend of mine through social media. He's a great professional. He's an ex professional rugby player, actually rugby league player, uh -huh. and he's doing a great job. In fact, we we often speak on social media. But uh, what, what had happened was uh, I got a taste for traveling quite early. And when I was about 23, 
I made, went to London for the first time and, mm-hmm. and worked at the BBC. And then I kind of carved most of my career in the UK and the US at uh, you know Sky News, no, BBC. So you, you went there, decided to stay and work there. Yes. But that's a long way from home. You, you, you're the eldest of, of your family. Mm. Your, your mum let you do that? Yeah, she was, she was very encouraging. I've got to give her credit. You know, Brilliant. That, yeah, she Brilliant. was very encouraging. And uh, she said, you know, do it, go for it. And in fact, my parents married in London. They, that's where they basically got married. And they spent quite a few years there in, before I was born in the late 50s. In the, in, and that's uh, so she already knew London. Uh, but the reason I came here was I was working at CNN on CNN World Sport which some people might know in Malaysia if they're traveling around. It's a 30-minute sports yeah, show. Yeah. And and I was loving that. You know, I'd worked for the BBC. I'd been the first Australian on BBC World. I'd been the first Aussie on CNN International as a sports presenter. Of course, there were general news presenters like Michael Holmes mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Rosemary Church, yeah. but I was the first sports presenter. So I'm ticking a lot of boxes of things that I wanted to achieve, but then I realized that, hey, I don't have any money. I haven't made any money. I'm, no. I'm, yeah. how, how, how have you not made money? These well, are high-profile jobs. They are, but they don't pay that well. People <laughs> might be surprised. At least not for not for me as being a sports reporter. So I decided around the age of 39 or 40, or I was 39, and I remember I was working at CNN, and there was a, a guy from CNN from India who was a producer, and I was a, a producer initially, then I became a presenter. And he had a friend who was working for ESPN Star Sports mm-hmm. in Singapore as a sports presenter. Right. Similar to what I was doing. And we just kind of got ch- chatting and all that. And I said, hey, what does this guy make and what sort of money do they make? And, and he said, I'll find out. Anyway, cut a long story short, the money was probably twice what I was making at CNN. As a, as a, and that show goes to over 200 countries. Wow. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm loving being on CNN. It's a great thrill but. professionally, but <laughs> yeah. I, I need to start making some serious money because taxes are very high in the yeah. US ex- yeah. and living expenses are high. So the guy who contacted I contacted was a guy called Uday Joshi, <laughs> who a lot of uh, Malaysians Bro- would know. Brother Uday. Yes. <laughs> And to Uday's credit, he was extremely helpful. He he told me exactly what I needed to know, even though I was potential rival, right? Because mm-hmm. Uday was a sports presenter. He said, this is the person to contact. Yeah. This is how you do it. And this is the pay range. I'm going, wow, that's pretty good money. So I wrote off a letter, and this was in 2001. Uh-huh. And I'm like not expecting to hear anything back. And then I hear back from a guy called... Des Corkill. <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna pause it right there. Okay, a short break. When we come back, we'll, we'll take up the story of of Jason in Singapore. That's when he's joined ESPN uh, and met up with Des Uday and gang. That's all next. More grandstand coming right up on BFM eighty nine point nine. Building fit Malaysians BFM. 89.9 This is Grandstand on BFN 89.9 Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, this week, we, we're, we're looking at the world of sports broadcasting. And we've got a, a man who has spent all his life in sports <laughs> broadcasting, sports media. Jason Daisy in the house. And Jason, just before the break, you, you were telling us about how you, you got from high-profile job in London, working for, for CNN. Actually, I was in the US. Oh, sorry, in the US, CNN. Um, being seen in, in over, what, 200 countries, but the money wasn't great. Then you got a job in Singapore with ESPN. Yes, ESPN Star Sports. So uh, I decided as I was about to turn 40, I was 39, 
I need to make some serious money. And I wrote to a guy that many people in BFM would know called uh, Des Corkill, who at that time was the sports editor or news editor of ESPN Star Sports. And they were expanding their news service. And Des had just had a, a bit of a run-in with the senior news presenter of ESPN Star Sports, who was a... Well, Des will tell you the story, but he was a New Zealand guy. Didn't work out. He was there for a few months, left. Des so. having a run-in with people. That's unheard <laughs> of. Unheard. No. <laughs> so, so Des needed somebody um, to do that job. So what happened was that Des needed someone to fill that job of uh, senior sports presenter. And I wrote to him and, and he said, yeah, yeah, I, I've seen you on CNN and we actually need someone. And so we started this negotiation. And uh, then next thing I know, he gives me an offer. And then we agree on terms. But you know what happened right in the middle of this? 9-11. So I remember I was back in Australia on, on, on holiday and I was, remember I was at my mum's place and I'm seeing the planes hitting the buildings and I'm thinking, I wonder if my job's still going to be um, <laughs> offered because this is going to completely yeah. change the world yeah. because it's an American company yeah. and all that. And the next thing I know, I'm, so I'm really concerned, but sure enough, the offer still came through because we'd already agreed on everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I at the, so just after 9-11, I flew to Singapore from the US and every airport and plane was just about deserted. Yeah. Because it was that post 9/11, yeah, a few yeah, weeks after yeah, 9/11, yeah. I arrive in Singapore. And security was crazy. It was, yeah, yeah. So that was that was really a, like a new chapter for me, beginning, and it's been a new chapter for the world, hasn't it? it post 9/11. Now, this is the norm for you. You talk, you talk like like everybody does it. You you've you've lived what in London, in the US, and then you you up six and went to Singapore. Is is there a the excitement of living in in a foreign city, or, or is there b total total scariness of it all? Yeah, it was a bit scary in some ways. I'd been to Singapore once before. I think I'd been to Malaysia a couple of times before. I'd been to Singapore in 1982, and here we are in 2001. So it's yeah. many years it, later. It would have changed a lot. Changed a lot. Just well, Orchard Road alone. Yeah, I mean there wasn't even an MRT in in Singapore <laughs> when I first went there, right? So I always remember I I'd flown from Atlanta. It was. October, November, October, I think I, when I left, I arrived on the 1st of November 2001. And I just remember walking out and getting hit by the humidity. It was in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I'm like, where am I? And I got the, uh, on the ECP, a lot of Malaysians would know the, the road that comes from the airport. I'm seeing the palm trees and East Coast. And I'm thinking, <laughs> where am I? <laughs> so uh, that, that was the beginning of a, of a new chapter for me. But uh, fortunately, it started off pretty well but you know I missed being in, in the US I missed CNN I missed the, the buzz of that but mm-hmm. my job had changed I'd become a senior sports presenter mm. and I'm mentoring a lot of people and Des was the boss and we'd start shows we did a show called Sports Center Asia yeah, that was brilliant yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah in fact your brother I remember came and interviewed me uh, a few years uh, into the doing that came uh, down from Malaysia uh-huh. we did a show for India called Sports Center India yeah. there was another show called Sports Line and there were a lot of associated shows as well they're timeless programs that, that people remember as part of their childhood and, and stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's yes. it's where you get your daily news of what what the score was, what the goal looked like, the big transfer news, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Was it fun to do? It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and made good friends. You know, people like Colette Wong and uh, and working with Uday Uday Joshi, who was the one that actually had helped me. And I'm always grateful to him because can you imagine some guy from the other side of the world is calling you up and getting getting information about a job that he could potentially and then he turns up and he turns <laughs> up yeah yeah so I worked with him and then in later years so it was, it was Colette Wong Uday Joshi later years it would be Steve Dawson uh, other people as well and, and it was it was wonderful uh, and I really learned a lot and of course there were other things I could work on I could work on 
live football, mm. World Cup, mm. 2006 World Cup, cricket, yeah. tennis. I did tennis, a few Grand Slam yeah, tennis. Yeah. Brilliant. So I learned a lot, but it was a different experience to being in the mature market, like the BBC mm. or CNN or Sky. I worked for Sky News. And then suddenly you're in, in the Asian market. It's an emerging market. Yeah. It's a developing market. Yeah. And, and yeah, you, you, you took to it like, like a duck to water, mm. as they say. So, okay, you, you've, you've installed yourself in Singapore at, at ESPN Star, um, starting to earn some serious cash, putting money away. Yes, I bought, I bought a condo too, you know. Brilliant. Yeah, Brilliant. I bought a condo. Sensible, Jason. Yes, sensible, yes. Jason. Your mum would be the problem. Oh, yes, my Jason. Um, yeah. How how long was the stint? Uh, how long did you end up staying there? You're still there. You're still based in Singapore, right? Yeah, I'm still based in Singapore. So that became my base in 2001. I was there for five years, and then um, what happened was I got back from the 2006 World Cup where we met. Yes, at the Italy game. I have a photo. You have a photo, Kaiserslautern. <laughs> it was the round of 16, Australia against in, uh, Italy. He was swearing like a <laughs> sailor, Jason. That well, wasn't a penalty. Oh yeah. So what happened? If anyone uh, remembers that game, Australia had put in a very good performance against Italy. Superb performance. It has Played to be said. really well, yeah. and then Italy were down to ten men. They had yep. a, a red card, didn't yep. they? And it was everyone thought it would go to extra time. And in added time, you'll remember that Lucas Neal brought down. Who was it? Was it um, the defender Grosso? Grosso. Yeah, yeah. He brought down Grosso, and it was kind of was it a penalty or not? A gra- obviously, the thing, there was no VAR. There was nothing. Yeah, I mean, Lucas Neal made the mistake of falling to the ground, uh-huh. and and uh, the, what's his name? Um, the defender Grosso, Grosso uh, tripped uh, over him yeah and but then, yeah it, and it was uh, of course it was uh, remember the the penalty was taken by the, the what's his name the most capped uh, Baggio no it wasn't Baggio no. who was it uh, um, 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 Totti Totti yeah. Francesco Francesco Totti took the penalty and that's 1-0 Australia's out and that was the World Cup for Australia but that, I did, did lost them that was probably the best Australian side it was a wonderful side yeah right? I mean, Mark Paducah Harry yeah. Kuehl Tim exactly. Cahill that had everything Brett Emerton Lucas Neal despite giving away that penalty <laughs> uh, but yeah that was uh, but I came back from that uh, World Cup after working 40 days straight and of course Italy were the ultimate mm-hmm. champions mm-hmm. I was at the final when yeah. Zidane's yeah. headbutt and oh, all that crazy right you were there too yeah, right yeah yeah so, Surreal. No one saw it in real time. No. Everyone saw it off the off the, yes. the, the big screen and then, and then reacted like a minute later. Yes. And everyone remember that that the atmosphere around that um, stadium there in Berlin, wasn't it? Where yeah. where the feeling was just like they're stunned. <laughs> Crazy. So the, after after that, I come back to Singapore and I'm like really buzzing. I've done covered my first World Cup, you know, on the ground. I've been covered World Cups before from studios and all that, but I was actually on site. Yeah. So the, the, I see uh, the secretary uh, of, of the boss, and she says, oh, look, uh, the boss wants to see you. And then I said, okay, yeah, great. So I'm going to see the boss, and, and I'm actually in there returning equipment from the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Sit down with the boss, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm on good money now, but I'm going to even ask for more money because I've done <laughs> such a good job. <laughs> Sat down, and the boss said, Jason, it's not working out. You're being fired. So, okay, bit of a spanner in the works. Um, after the 2006 World Cup, uh, ESPN star ended. But then it kind of opened up other doors because we then found you on our shores 
that then you started your Astro Super Sports stint. Correct. Yes. Yes. So in between that, I went to the US and and worked uh, for ESPN. Funnily enough, I was fired or laid off. My contract was uh, you know terminated. But I was still able to get work with ESPN in the US for two years. <laughs> so that was kind of my interim job. I'm scrambling around. And, and this happens in, in careers. We know that sometimes you have ups and downs. And yeah. sometimes you have to scramble, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do that. I get to the um, US for two years. But I knew I wanted to come back to Asia. Once you're here, it's, it's hard to leave, as you know. So I came back to Asia looking around for a job. And that's when um, Astro Supersport began because C.K. Lee, the head of Astro Sports, was looking for a producer and he was looking for a presenter. Mm -hmm. So I contacted him. This was in about 2008, uh, maybe end of 2008. He said, hey, yeah, we're looking for a a producer for Astro because we've got um, some big stuff coming up. And then I said, "Okay, I can do that. And then I got and get another email back about a day later. Hey, we're looking for presenter as well. Can you do both? <laughs> so this was 2009. 2008, he, 2008. We, had, we had the discussions and 2009 I actually began. Because <clears throat> that stint at Astro Supersport was probably their best period um, in terms of uh, p- programs they put out. They, you, they put out some, some quality programming during that time. Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm very happy with that chapter. It was a new chapter for me because I'd been mostly... It was uh, live, live matches, what, all weekend? Yes, yeah. So what happened was, you know, I came in as a really as a one man band. I just started the whole thing. So it was myself, and there was no real structure around it. You know, you remember that um, Astro sometimes did ad hoc production. Yeah. So they might bring in a team for, and you were probably involved in some of that stuff yeah. in the early years, yeah. where they bring in a team just for the Asian Games or yeah. for the Olympics yeah. or for the Euro or the World Cup. But they never had an in house dedicated team. Mm-hmm. And uh, so C.K. Lee, the head of Astro, said to me, okay, we want you to set up a team. So I remember going in there. It was in 2009, early 2009. And I'm like, wow, there's nothing. There's not even a computer system to to work (laughs) in. There's nothing. So fortunately, there was one guy that had worked previously on Malay dramas and all that, um, Jai. Uh A lot of people know him as a a very established producer. I kind of said, okay, this guy seems good. So it was me and Jai to start with, and we just built from that. We we started with one show, 442, and we made one good show, and then we built two good shows, and then we built, you know, five good shows, and then we we realized that we did the World Cup in 2010, and then Astro had acquired the Premier League rights then. Yes, that's right. So suddenly we have all this content, uh, and I'm like, okay, this is now getting serious. And that's so. After a year of kind of building with this quite a small team, once we got the Premier League rights for the 2010-11 season, then I realised we really have to get serious about this and find some good people. Yeah. So you ended up doing two World Cups, four seasons of Premier League, uh, the Euros, the the Copa America, yeah, yeah. rugby uh, World Cup, rugby World Cup. Yeah. So it, it was a, it was a good. Good notch on on the uh, on the belt and and, and great for the CV. Yeah, it was good. It was good, and also doing those on-site games. Uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with them when Manchester United came, Liverpool yeah, playing yeah, Chelsea. Yeah. So you're doing pre-season games, whether it's uh, Shar Alam or Booker Jalil, where we actually you know do stuff on site. Uh, and you know, you and Ross, you were a big part of it because the Boulder at Mamak showed started, I think, in 2000. That was great fun. That was great it was great fun. fun. Yeah. You know, it was yourself. It was Des Corkill. It was Roshan Narayan, you know, it was Edley and Ismail, or Jay Menon. Orange Man. Orange Man. <laughs> Adrian as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, and we had like, you know, we'd have Kevin Keegan, we'd have Gianfranco Zola, we'd have... Adam Mama, real Adam Mama. Adam Mama Stoll. Absolutely. Andy Cole, you yeah. know, Darren Anderton. 
Um, there were so many. Dennis Wise. That was great. Yeah. All right, we're, we're brilliant. So we've done Astro. So much to talk about in, in Jason's life. Jason has a new love. We're going to find out what right after the break. A view of sports from every angle. This is Grandstand. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. Sit back, talk sports and play ball. This is Grandstand. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. We're talking to to Jason Dacey this week, a very familiar name to to all of you listening, uh, celebrating 40 years in media, in broadcasting. Jason, we've we've spoken about how you started your time at Astro in Malaysia. This is all coming to to a bit of an end of a, uh, the chapter now. You you're moving the family back down under, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I've been in Asia since 2001 when I moved uh, what, from CNN to Singapore and worked at the ESPN Star Sports. So it's 18 years. My family is moving back to Brisbane. My, I have a nine-year-old uh, daughter. You know, you have uh, a kid as well. So you Ella! Know, yeah. <laughs> I love pictures of Ella. Yeah, she's so cute. She's my pride and joy. So like you, I was, I guess, relatively old when I became a dad. You know, mm. we see lots of dads in their 20s. I was in my late 40s. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think you're in your... Same. 40s, wasn't 40s, it? 40s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... It's a different perspective. So um, I'm actually moving them to Brisbane. I'm from Sydney, but I've chosen Brisbane because it's a, it's a lovely climate. It's a friendly city. It's not as expensive as Sydney. And I will continue to be based. Uh, my company will continue to be based in Singapore. I'll still be doing business in Malaysia. And I have a contract with ESPN India to be a host in India. So mm-hmm. I'll, be, I'll be traveling back and forth. But I've started my own media company in Singapore called Cockatoo Media, mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, I do trainings, I do emceeing, you know, I bring in celebrities. And I, I'm doing stuff in Malaysia as well, where I can bring in, a, you know, whether it's a Tony Adams or a yeah. Paul Parker yeah. or, a, yeah. you know, David Beckham for an event. And, uh, you know, sit down, have an intimate dinner with high rollers. Or I'll just train executives, you know, uh, whether they're with media training or uh, give so- some sort of talk at, at uh, functions for, you know, inspirational talks. But, yes, the, the, the short answer is, yes, my base will be Australia after so long. I've been away more than 25 years from my home nation. Do, do you miss it? I miss aspects of it. I think probably like you, Ross, you were living in the UK a long time. You do appreciate your country more when you get some perspective. Absolutely, absolutely. But then, you know, when you go back, you find everything's changed, right? Everything's changed. (laughs) Everything's changed. And not necessarily for the better. Not always. But I think one thing that I've had uh, working, you know, for big companies here, I I spent five years at Disney, four years at Disney in Singapore and working the corporate life and working a lot with Americans and other nationalities, I really love the Australian personality and the, the way that people are down to earth, that real core Just Aussie straightforward. It's in your, to your face. That's it. Exactly. There's, there's, there's no, <laughs> yeah, no grey area. Exactly. And working in the American corporate culture, I found very challenging. Wow. Very yeah. challenging. <laughs> quite the different. <laughs> quite yeah. different. Quite different. And, you know, say what you like about Aussies. They are, you know, they give you a fair go, they say. Ah, oh, fair income. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were saying, now one, one of the things you're company Cockatoo, Cockatoo Media, Media yeah. does is you put out a radio show in Singapore every week. Correct. And I've, as you say, I've fallen in love with radio. Uh, I'd done some radio before, as you know. I'd done my podcast. I tried to keep this a secret, <laughs> but unfortunately, Jason got it. Oh, I love radio. It's fantastic. So for the last year or so, I've been working at Money FM, which is a bit like a 
clone of BFM. No, not too dissimilar. Not too dissimilar. Yeah. I should say, you know, a lot of inspiration from BFM. I think Malik here had a few words with them there with words of advice and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think it really made a, a big difference for them that they could get the perspective of BFM. So I'd done BBC Radio Reporter. I'd done a podcast before. I, you know, filled in on your show, helping out sometimes. But I'd never done my own mm-hmm. interview show. Mm-hmm. So in early 2018, I was thrown in to do 10 hours of radio at the weekend. Wow. My own producing, my own paneling, everything. That's a Saturday and a Sunday. Saturday and Sunday, 7 a.m. till noon. And I this is over a year ago, about 18 months ago almost. I've done over 600 podcasts in that period. Wow. And I've learned so much. At yeah. the beginning, At the beginning, I mean, it was all new to me, how to do this and how yeah, to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I just love radio. It's so intimate. Uh, and I, you know me, Ross, I love people. I love finding out people's stories. I'm, I'm a nosy guy. <laughs> now now your, your show is, is kind of set in its format now. You, 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 you co-host it with Neil Humphreys. For the Saturday show, yes. For, yeah, and, and I, I see some interesting guests and topics at, at, uh, every week. Yeah, we've really broadened it. Of course, we still do football and sports, uh, and I've, we've had some really good names on. Uh, you know, we had Gary Stevens, who does stuff at Astro on recently. You know, we've had other, other big names as well. We had uh, Brad Hogg, former Australian cricket player came in the studio um, but uh, what, what I've also done, done is talk about other stuff whether it's politics music and you mm. and I have had lots of chats over the years about pop music yeah. you know we had Neil Sedaka on the on the show uh, we had um, you know some other big names as well who, who came on as we had Glenn Shorrick from Little River Band was, yeah, was yeah, on the yeah, show you had, uh, you had a show specifically on, on Beatles music I yeah, remember yeah we had the Abbey, Abbey Road Abbey 50th, Road 50th yeah, anniversary yeah, yeah. so yeah. anytime you get paid to talk about music sports uh, finance uh, and, uh, and finance has become uh, a real interest of me. I think it's when, as we get older, Ross, we begin a bit more. Uh, we think more about finances and well, about retirement. Yeah, and because that's where it all comes back to that in the end, anyway, it right? It does. It does. You know, we've got kids to support, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're not getting any younger. We're not getting any younger. So. Your whilst your your family's back in Australia, you, you're going to be based this part of the world. You're still going to be putting out your radio uh, over the weekend. Not from Singapore. I'll be doing more stuff externally, more uh, you know interviews, yeah. uh, a, a lot from Australia because I'll be spending more time in Australia. Mm-hmm. They've asked me to sort of track down people. You remember Rex Go? He was a guitarist for Air Supply, and he's a Singaporean. Okay, and he lives in Sydney. So you're going to go and find I'm Rex going to find Go. Rex Go. So <laughs> I just love tracking down people and, and, and all these kind of stories. So for me, I'll continue to travel to India to do my hosting for ESPN India. Mm-hmm. I'll still do my business in Singapore and Malaysia yeah. with corporate training and emceeing and, and that kind of stuff. And I'll still do radio stuff from Australia plus some TV in Australia, hopefully. Brilliant. So you, it sounds like it's it's all all set. But um, looking, at, looking back at, at your... Distinguished career, um, most troublesome guest you've ever had, worst <laughs> horrible interview. Which one? Uh, look, I did mention Dennis Wise before, and uh, he was a nice guy once he came to Malaysia. And we, I think you may have been on the show when he was on. Were you yeah, on I think show? so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he he we'd agreed on a price with Dennis Wise, uh-huh. and then the tickets were booked. And I always remember that. He knew that we couldn't get out of the tickets. We bought business class tickets for him, and then he changed the the money. And I felt that was very disrespectful. That's something a bit unsavory that I found. <laughs> Dealing with the other side, I think. Yeah, the business side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Best best person you ever interviewed, which where you thought, wow, everything just went as planned. I think uh, you know. I told you this off air. I mean, Kevin Keegan, the the former Liverpool legend, who was a manager of Newcastle United, uh, and 
you, you participated in those shows when we brought him to Malaysia. To me, that was a dream come true. It's hard to say because he was a manager, he was a player, he was a bit of a celebrity, he sang. He was a superstar and, yeah. and he was so down to earth. He was right? so down to earth. I know a lot of Malaysians would, would look up to him. Uh, to me, I had to I always had to pinch myself. I'm working with uh, Kevin Keegan. John Barnes is a great guy, and I became quite good friends with John Barnes. Mm-hmm. And he stayed at my place, would you believe, in Tamandessa. Wow. Because all the hotels were booked. <laughs> and I always remember John Barnes. Did he rap in the middle of the night? That would have been so I, annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine telling the security guards in Tamandessa, at Casadessa, people will know Casadessa, that John Barnes is about to arrive and let him in when he comes. He's a black guy. You know, he, <laughs> He might be wearing red. Here's a photo. <laughs> so I think that, that, that's been to me, you know, you're getting to know these people and they become friends. Mm. You know, you hang out with them and you realize that people who are celebrities are still people. Yeah. They're no different. And I don't think I'm really I'm in awe of anybody. I think the only person I'd be in awe of if I met them would probably be Paul McCartney. Mm. I've never, I've seen. Why? Well, I mean, I'm a big Beatles fan, but I saw him at Heathrow Airport one time, and that was when Linda McCartney, his yeah. wife, was al- yeah. alive. Yeah. It would have been 90s, I think, or 80s or 90s, and I mean, wow. We had this aura about him, you know. So that would probably be the only person I'd feel really nervous if, to interview. I mean, if I interview royalty, I think I'd be okay. Is, is there something Jason Dacey wants to cover sports-wise? I mean, you've done World Cups now. You, but I don't think there's anything really, is there? I think I'm pretty satiated when it comes to sports events. Maybe Ryder like you. Cup might be quite good to do. Ryder Cup's all right. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that way. I'm not really. There's no area where I'd say, okay, I need to tick this box yeah. from a sports perspective. Yeah, yeah. From a professional perspective, I wouldn't mind hosting a morning TV breakfast show. I've done the radio uh-huh. uh, equivalent, but to do a TV. Sport, that's that's uh, like a 3 a.m. rise. That's I don't like mind go, that. That's like going that. to bed at 7 p.m. every night or something. A little bit like that. But to <laughs> me, that might be one. Um, but you know what? Another thing I like to do, I love acting. I've done community theater a bit uh, in the U.S. Uh, and the U.K. I did improv acting. I think that might be my unfulfilled ambition to be maybe in a musical or to be in a show. I'd love to see that. <laughs> if, if you get that gig, please send a ticket. Um, do, do you have plans for, for little Ella? Do, do you want her to, to follow a certain path? or Not really, but... Uh, has she shown what she wants to do uh, at this age? She likes, she likes the finer things in life. She says to me, Daddy, I love marble floors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I like Lamborghinis. Where did that come from? I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> I mean, with Ella, I'm just so blessed to have such a beautiful kid who's who makes me laugh and is fun. If she said to you tomorrow, uh, Dad, I want to play soccer. I'd say go for it. Brilliant. I'd say, you know, this has got to be something that you want to try. In fact, I want to, you know what, one thing I did, Ross, and I know your son likes to play soccer and football. When she was two years old, I was trying to make her use her left foot. We would stand in the living room. I would kick to her and I'd force her to use her left foot. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've tried that. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard though, isn't it? It's hard. They just refuse sometimes. <laughs> so where will Jason, where do you see Jason Dacey in 10 years from now? 2029. You know what? I could be back at Asia by then. You and I will still have an interview probably in 2029. Probably, yeah. You'll still be doing what you're doing. We just love it too much, right? Exactly. Exactly. Why stop, right? Look, I I think the world's changed. You know, the fact that the family's moving back to Australia and I'm gradually moving back there as well doesn't mean that you're never going to come back to Asia and and be based here again. It's a different world today than it was, say, for our parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jason, if you have a few words of encouragement to say to... To young people listening who, who may, maybe want to try out in the, the world of broadcasting and media, what, what, should, what kind of advice can you give them? I'd say hard work always pays off. Consistency is important. 
I think with my career, uh, I may not be as brilliant as some people, but I've always been consistent about uh, what I've performed. I'm a bit like a James Milner. I'll give you a seven out of ten, day after day after day, or Michael Carrick in Manchester United terms. And and yeah, I mean, he, seven is your worst. He does turn out with the odd ten out of ten. Yeah, game yeah. So well. if I can give a seven, so I say consistency is very key. Don't you, you've got to really have that um, reliability, uh, and also. Look at all the knockbacks that I had. My English teacher told me that I was not going to be good enough to mm-hmm. be a journalist. Mm-hmm. You know, I lost my dad when I was just starting off my yeah. career. I've you been, could, could quite easily have given it up then. Easily. And I've told, told you I've been laid off. I've probably been laid off two or three times yeah. in my career as well. So I think every setback, build on that. And hard work will always pay off. Don't think that if you're doing this hard work when people are going out and partying, it's not going to pay off. It's paid off for me. Brilliant stuff. Jason Dacey, thank you so much. Uh, for, for taking time out and, and talking to us. Uh, wish you the best in everything you do. Thank you so much, Ross. And it was great that we started this chat in the Mamak stall opposite, just like Boulder Mamak. Just we like Boulder Mamak. One of the stars it, of the show. It all goes back <laughs> round in a circle. Jason, thank you so much. And, and uh, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, stay tuned next week for more Grandstand. Tune in next week for more Grandstand on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.